Well, today we're going to be closing out our series, Slingshot. If you have your Bibles with you, either digital or the OG paper version, go ahead and make your way over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's where we've been at the past few weeks. And we've been using the story of David and Goliath to apply five small disciplines that can make a big difference in our life. The first week we talked about get a grip, which was to take hold of the things of God. Week two was take aim, have some vision for your life. The third week, pull back. There's a value in cutting some things. Did anyone cut some things out of their life after that? Last week was let go, walk and surrender. And this week is going to bring us to our final small discipline that we're going to look at that can change the tra- tra- bleh, bleh, can change your life. <laughs> I said it. I said it correct the first and second service. But it's 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 48. It says this. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. Now the final discipline that we are going to look at today, and the title of this message is Move Forward. Is anyone ready to move forward today? Why don't you tell your neighbor, I'm going to move forward. Move forward. Okay, truth time. (laughs) Move forward is the title of my message, and we are going to talk about that, but really what I'm going to talk to you about is obedience. And I knew if I came right out of the gate and said, we're going to talk about obedience, half of you would tune me out because no one really likes to talk about that, right? Now, I promise before I get up in your business, I'll let you into my business, and I'm going to tell you a story about my children. For those of you who don't know my family, we have three sons and one daughter. And as most parents do, Justin and I split up some of the parenting responsibilities, which means in my house, my handle, my, I'm sorry, guys. I think my Coke Zeros are wearing off. (laughs) My husband handles bedtime, which is the best time. As our boys have gotten older, their bedtime needs have changed. It would be really awkward if we went into our 17-year-old's room and snuggled into bed with him and read him a story and combed his long hair that he refuses to cut. That would be awkward. Right now, all he needs from us is a good night. And honestly, he doesn't even need good. He just needs night. And he's content with a text, a a night text. And he sends a thumbs thumbs up back, and we're good. Our 11-year-old and our 13-year-old They also don't need as much tucking in, but they still need some direction and encouragement because they get a little bit lost on the way to bedtime. Justin will tell the boys to go up and get in bed, and he'll come in in about 10 minutes to tuck them in. And in that 10 minutes, our boys completely disappear from the room. They're in there, and then they're gone. There's many reasons for it. One of them 
most likely remember he had homework. Even though at 4.30, he had no recollection of it. Even though one had dinner, dessert, and a bedtime snack, he could not sleep because of the pains of hunger that are riddling his empty belly. Sometimes you just have to go to the basement. We don't know why. He doesn't know why. But it's important to go to the basement. But my most favorite reason to not be in bed is I have to clean my shoes. <laughs> Clearly, if you have dirty shoes, you can't sleep. There are many more reasons why they get out of bed. But at some point as a parent, you realize you're too tired to care. They have outnumbered you. Do what you want. I've, I've done the best I can. I'm going to let God do the rest. So you go to bed. And without fail, these boys, or little turds as I like to call them, come into my room, wake me up, whining and complaining that no one came to tuck them in. How dare you not come say goodnight, Mom and Dad? What kind of terrible parents are we? They're annoyed that they have been waiting on us to come and say goodnight so that they could go to sleep. But really, we were waiting on them to be obedient to the thing that we told them to do. And they don't seem to understand that we can't give them what they want if they first don't obey our instruction. And I wonder, how often do we do that same thing with God? We want him to show up in our situation. We beg him to move on our behalf. We plead with him to take away the giant that's in front of us. We say, please, God, make it disappear. Eliminate it from my life. And when it doesn't happen, we're like, God, when are you going to make this happen? And I got to think God's like, hey, I've been here the whole time. But I'm waiting on you. I gave you an instruction, yet you haven't obeyed what I told you to do. And all too often when it comes to obeying God and his direction and his voice, we can be like our kids. I'll do it when I get around to it. I'll do it after I've done all the other things that I want to do first. And then we have the nerve to get testy with God and say, why aren't you answering, God? Where are you? Don't you care about me? When God tells us to do something, it's not our choice of when or how or why or if we should obey. And often, obedience to God requires that you move forward. Now, in our story, David knew something about moving forward. When it came to meeting up with Goliath in that valley, if he hadn't moved forward, he would have missed out on the, one of the greatest victories in his life. The day that David stepped out into that valley and met Goliath, I imagine that it started out like any other ordinary day. He had been out caring for his sheep, and his dad calls him to run some cheese and crackers out to his brothers in the field. And so he says, okay, dad, I'll door dash. I'll door dash him. I'll take the delivery picture, and I'll come back with a report. So he leaves his sheep with another shepherd because he's a very responsible young man. And he sets off for what he thinks is just another ordinary day until he arrives at the Valley of Elah. As he moves closer to the battle line, he hears the giant shouting and something on the inside of him rises up and suddenly it's no longer an ordinary day. I'm going to come back to this thought in a minute, but first I want to talk about giants. You see, a giant in your life can be 
any number of things. In this particular story, the giant is a person named Goliath. But a giant is anything that opposes the purpose of God in your life. Goliath was standing against the people of God and was defying the armies of God. What is it in your life that's standing and opposing the purpose of God in you? It could be a number of things. It could be a person, but it's probably something like fear or anxiety, shame, regret. Maybe it's addictions. It doesn't have to be an addiction to alcohol or drugs. It could be an addiction to possessions or money or food. Maybe it's a giant regarding your health, a diagnosis or a terminal illness that you've been fighting for years. It could be a giant of insecurity or intimidation, depression, loneliness. You see, giants come in a variety of ways, and their whole purpose is to stand between you and what God has for you. And like Goliath, giants are loud and persistent. They're intimidating. They look for ways to push the right button in you for a reaction, and they refuse to back off, and they won't go away until you move forward and battle it. For a giant to leave your life, you have to defeat it. There's a battle that you're going to have to face. And in that battle, there are steps of obedience that you are going to have to take. We all know about David's battle with Goliath, but it probably wasn't the first battle he had endured. There were probably many secret battles that he took on before he ever stepped foot into that valley. And just like David, I'm guessing that there are some secret battles that you are facing. And not every battle needs to be known. Some things are just between you and God. And those battles are a test of your obedience to him. You see, to move forward and to fight public battles, you must first fight private battles. How you respond in small things will determine how you respond in big things. What were some of David's small battles? Well, he had been anointed by Samuel, but not before he had been overlooked by his own father. That might have been a battle of insecurity. Now he's anointed king, yet there's a king in charge, and rather than taking his reign, he continues to serve out in the field. That might have been a battle of pride. How can I stay and be obedient to the things that God has called me to? And while he's in the field, he's probably got a lot of feelings and thoughts running through his head. I think I would have. But rather than allowing the giant of bitterness and offense to well up in him, he battles and he worships God. His, he battles those giants privately and draws near to God. And as he does that, he's able to walk in victory. Never underestimate the battles you face in secret because those are the ones that will prepare you for public victory. If you don't know how to fight when no one's looking, how do you expect to fight when everyone's looking? Now, I want to pick back up in the story and talk and catch you up a little bit. Saul is, he's hiding away in a tent because for 40 days, this massive giant has come out and hurled insults and taunted the Israelites. They were afraid of this giant. 
But then enters David. He's just coming to do an ordinary thing. He's obeying what his father has instructed. And as he steps out towards the battle line, he hears this ruckus coming from this giant Philistine. And no one seems to be doing anything about it, which completely shocks David. He's like, are you guys seeing what I'm seeing? Are you hearing what I'm hearing? Why isn't anyone dealing with this? And they were all like, well, have you seen his size? But you see, David had been alone with God. He had been out in the field, and he had been anointed with the power of the Spirit. And so he spent time worshiping and cultivating his relationship with God. And the power and the strength of God would come upon him. And when he walks out into this field and hears this giant defying the living God, he says, I'm not okay with that. There's something that should rise up in the heart of every believer when the enemy begins to attack your destiny, your family, your church. There was something inside of David that said, I'm not okay with this. I'm not willing to let this giant mock the name of the Lord my God. David has been described in scripture as having a heart after God. And when he, and when he was in the secret place with him, Obeying his leading is less of a struggle, and he is willing to take on challenges that will, others will pass up. And the same is true for you. No one was willing to fight Goliath until David came and said, I'll do it. Now, you would think that Saul's army, who has been hiding out, shaking in their war boots for 40 days, would say, thank you, good, go. He's the big one out in the field. You can't miss him. But David was met with resistance. Look at verse 28. It says, David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened to him, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became, became angry with him. Why did you come down here, he asked? Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. Have you ever felt like sometimes you just can't get ahead? It's one thing after another after another that's coming out, coming after him. Even in, when you're stepping out and trying to do the right thing. That's because the tactic of the enemy likes to throw us into little battles to distract us from fighting the real battles that we're called to. This little skirmish with Eliab was meant to keep David from Goliath. The enemy was trying to use Eliab to trigger David to fight the wrong person because if he stands here and fights his brother, he'll never see the enemy behind him. Defeat happens in distraction, and the enemy knows all he has to do to win is get you distracted. Don't fight against what you are supposed to be fighting for. Call a timeout and do what David did in verse 30. Look at what it says. It says, then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him, and he asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. David did not engage in his brother's attempt to distract him. He didn't point the finger back at him. He didn't even acknowledge it. What did he do? He turned his position. He turned from those beside him to a forward focus. He changed his position to have a forward focus. And if you want to move forward in victory, it starts with a forward focus. It's pretty hard 
to walk forward while looking backwards. Try it when you go home. I did last night. It's hard. And you know, our memory is a great thing, but our memory can play tricks on us. As a mom, I have captured countless videos and photos of my kids over the years. And every day, I get a little memory that pops up on my phone. And recently, I got one from 10 years ago. And it's a video of my then three-year-old son, Oliver. And he was hiding in the corner of our kitchen. And I said, Oliver, what are you doing? And he turns around in this sweet, scratchy, little baby voice. And he tells me he's eating Cheetos. But he can't really say Cheetos. So he says, eating Tito's, and it's so cute, and I'm in a puddle, missing the good old days. But what that video doesn't show is that I had probably told him no Cheetos multiple times before. And he was in his pajamas, which meant he had already had his bath and his teeth brushed and was ready for bed, and now he was covered in orange on his teeth and his hands. And he had a bowl, but there were Cheetos all over the counter and the floor because, well, he was three. What I should have done in that moment was turn the camera around on me. I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure I didn't think it was that cute. Actually, I think I probably took the video to send to their father and be like, it's time for bed. Your mind's going to play tricks on you because now, as I watch that, all I can think is, I wish I had a three-year-old again, which all the parents of three-year-olds right now are like, that's absurd. No, you don't. Enjoy, enjoy that he's 13 and eats you out of a house and home. Your mind will create a narrative for you. And if you're not careful, that narrative of the past will dictate everything in your present and it will stop you from moving forward. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. He says, I'm going to forget everything that's behind and reach forward to everything that's ahead. That's a great instruction for some of us today. Maybe the best thing that we can do is to leave church and forget. Not forget the message, but forget. What if you forget your past failures and your past shame? In your past regrets? How about instead of remembering them and thinking about them and rehearsing them and telling yourself all the things that you did wrong, how about you just forget them and leave them in the past and move forward with what's ahead? What if instead of looking this way, you turned your position and looked this way? What if, like David, you just determined today, I'm not going to let the enemy keep me trapped by what my father did or what my brother said or by whatever else is going on in life and you become more aware of what's ahead of you and less concerned with what's behind you. The best way to move forward is to let go of what's behind. Eliab wasn't the only resistance that David encountered that day. As he starts to move forward and take on this giant, Saul says, hey, buddy, you're, you're just a youth. You're a young boy. You're going to be taken out in a heartbeat. But David knew that God had been training the warrior within him. 
And he comes back at Saul, and he says in verse 34, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Every victory, even if it looks small, is preparing you for something greater. You see, he looks at this situation, and it's not that he's confident in his own strength, but he's confident that in the midst of other battles, God guarded him and protected him, and that God has properly and appropriately equipped him to be able to face any challenge. His small victory prepared him for the big victory. And what if we shifted our focus instead of asking, God, why are you letting this happen to me? What if instead we said, God, use this to cultivate something on the inside of me to make me stronger. God, take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. Don't, I'm not going to let this giant crush me. I'm going to let it grow me. You see, God, he won't waste a single tear or a single heartache or any of the pain that you faced. Nothing will be wasted. And if you allow him, he will leverage it for your good and his glory. It's so much easier to run from a giant, to, to just hide out from the giants. And some of you, that's been your story. And I'm not trying to beat up on you. But what I am saying is instead of running, how about you try leaning? Leaning in. David leaned in at the battle line when everyone else ran. And his motivation to battle Goliath wasn't arrogance. It wasn't so that he could show everyone who he was and how great his, he was. His motivation's found in verse 47. And it says, And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. His motivation was to defend the name and the heart of God. And when your heart is towards God, you understand the battles you are to engage in. David knew he had to take down this enemy. Now there's an often overlooked part in these last few verses that I want to lean into with our remaining few minutes. In verse 48 it says, When the Philistines started toward, forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone, stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered him and killed him without having a sword. Goliath goes down, but David hit him with the stone. David triumphed over the Philistine. But look at this next verse in verse 51. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. Now, I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm just a girl who likes Jesus. And this may be opinion more than fact, but I'm okay with that. I don't think David killed Goliath twice. I think the stone stunned him and knocked him unconscious. And David knew that 
That's why he ran over and took the sword to finish the job off and cut off his head. And my point in all of this is to say, don't be content to just stun the giants in your life. When you knock them down, make sure you finish it off. There's a very... There's a very real adversary in our life. The Bible says that he comes about like a roaring lion. He's an intimidator, but he's not here to just make you feel uncomfortable. Jesus tells us the job description of our adversary in John 10.10, 10, and it's this, to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his mission. So as Christ's followers, we have to ask this, is the Goliath in my life, have I taken them out, or are they just taking a nap? Don't leave Goliath simply unconscious. Take the sword of the Spirit and behead that thing in your life that will rise up again in the future to take you out. You might think you have your giant under control, but until you can completely eliminate it, it will always have control over you. And that's not God's best for you. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to fight until we have complete and total victory. What is the Goliath in your life that, needs, that might just be unconscious? Again, I'm not trying to meddle in your business. But what I'm saying is, God wants you to stand in a place of complete victory. Because that's what Christ has done for all of us. He purchased that for you and for me. You see, this story of David and Goliath, it's not just some sweet little Bible story that we learned in Sunday school with the flannel graphs. Goliath, he represents the enemy, the very real adversary that we all fight. And the armies of Israel, those represent the people of God. And David, well, that's not you and that's not me. He represents the son of David, Jesus, the unassuming one, the one that they thought, what good could come out of Nazareth? You see, Jesus shows up on the scene and begins to do great and mighty works. And the final battle, when it looked like the enemy had won and Jesus was arrested and beaten and hung on a cross to die, and they all laughed and they all mocked and they said, who's your savior now? But on that third morning in the tomb, He stepped out. He said, I don't need that anymore. And he became the victor of all time. And he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And the enemy and every giant that you will ever face, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus is David in the story, the conquering king. And we can move forward into that victory because of what Jesus has already done for us. So what do we have to do? You can't go forward standing still. Moving forward requires you to move. So what is your move today? Or what if I said it like this? What's your next step? Maybe it's realizing that you can't do this alone. That you need community. That you need people to come around you 
to hold you accountable, to give you encouragement, to say, I've been there too. We can get through this. So you're going to join a group. Maybe your next step is to go public with your faith and say, I'm ready to leave my past in the past, to be raised to, to life and start forward with a new focus, so I'm going to get baptized. Maybe your next step is to say, I'm going to go all in with Jesus. I'm not just going to come to church, but I'm going to help build the church through serving and giving and inviting. All the things that have been deposited into me, I'm going to move forward and make a way for others to experience what I have. Maybe the way you need to move forward is through some forgiveness. Forgiving others. Forgiving yourself. I don't know what you need to move, but I know you know. I know God's speaking to you right now, stirring something up on the inside of you, bringing something to your memory that says, yeah, I got, I got to move forward from that. There's always going to be valleys and giants waiting for you. You're going to leave here, and you're going to get in your car, and you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, and there's going to be some giants still standing in your world. But listen, this is what you have to understand. Jesus has already purchased the complete victory on the cross. And now all you have to do, all I have to do is move forward. We're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us.